Hey there, folks. Before we start today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, I'd just like to remind you guys that you can check out my daily sports column. It's free by going to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. You can just check out my Twitter to find the link there. Go check out chasethomaspodcast.com. There's a link on that page. Uh, But yeah, go check it out every day. New sports story in your email inbox. Uh, Yeah, go tell a friend, share it out, send it to anyone else you think would uh, like the newsletter. But yes, every single day, go to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Just Google Sports Renaissance Man, Chase Thomas, whatever you're most comfortable with, go do that. Uh, If you are an Apple Podcast listener, don't forget to leave this show a five-star rating and review. Uh, It's important uh, to help the show continue to grow. And last thing, uh, very quickly, but uh, please email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com to... Uh, get your mailbag question in or any other questions that you might have about the show, about the column, anything like that. Uh, new mailbag columns go up every Friday. Uh, if you have any questions for the weekly shows that you would like us to answer on air, whether it's John Taylor on Wednesdays, Evan Swords on Mondays, the sports reporters on Fridays, uh, make sure to get those questions in and we'll read them on the show or I'll answer your questions in the mailbag on the newsletter. So, Go do that. Uh, again, that's chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave the show a five-star rating and review. Follow on Apple Podcasts if you can. Uh, I think that's it. All right. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello and welcome back to the Thursday edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. We roll along here to talk all things pro wrestling as we do every single Thursday. I am joined by a first-timer, Zach Haydorn. Haydorn? Haydorn? I don't know how to pronounce it. I probably should have asked you beforehand of Pro Wrestling Torch. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It is Haydorn for, mm. for future reference. But, you know, I've been called all of the above. Haydorn, Haydorn. So I'm, I'm good with it, man. That's cool, man. Because it's funny. I your last name it, it sounds like a Game of Thrones last name. Like it, there <laughs> really? Definitely that be a I haven't heard before. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we're going to talk about AEW uh, that and this week's episode of Raw. I've written a lot about Raw. I've written a lot about AEW. Um, SmackDown's a great show, and we have some stuff there. But I wanted to start because AEW happened last night. It's the freshest on the brain. It's what I watched this morning. Um. What what would you say? What, what were the best moments from this week's episode of AEW, and what uh, what did you not like? Let's start with the positive. What were the the best moments for you? Well, I think the the best moment for me is the the signals that they were you know signaling <laughs> for for a CM Punk uh, debut with the company. When you kind of put the pieces together, and it felt like you know they were obviously trying to get the audience to do to do just that but you piece together chicago you piece together big venue in the united center you piece together um brand new show in rampage plus you add on top of that all the rumors and it sounds like you know a cm punk debut is is eminent so you know obviously not breaking news here i know what i mean i all i know is what's been out there but when you read those tea leaves you, you know, it'd be hard for Tony Khan not to deliver at this point, given what he's he's put out there. So that is a high point of that show, because that's a big business move. I mean, that is a move that is going to attract mainstream attention. That's a move um, 
that's going to you know give that company even more credibility than it already has and most of all you know cm punk you know wrestling on dynamite or rampage or their pay-per-views what have you is gonna drive new viewership and new new eyeballs will give um that product a shot and given that it's such a hot product right now in general um i i see a scenario where punk attracts these new viewers and those viewers stay because the rest of that product and that show is so incredibly exciting um, on a week-to-week basis so it's not uh the high point for me wasn't necessarily a specific happening on the show but that announcement um is a game changer what i didn't like um i think kind of the not low point but just something that just kind of i think was not in the right tone was that that 10-man tag to open the show was it fun yes was it a little <laughs> comedy yes was it fresh in terms of that absolutely was it a well wrestled match definitely but when you put to like paper the story that they're trying to tell with adam page and the dark order you know there was significant stakes um within that within that match page's world title shot dark orders tag team title shot and i thought that the tone of the elite with the jerseys and the space jam stuff and the music and the shooting jump shots i just thought that that detracted from the serious nature of what that match was set up to be and i think to this point in time they've done a really nice job building um building that feud and keeping it in that that serious lane when the elite regularly kind of veer off into other into other avenues so i'd like to see them stick more serious i think that plays better i think page is a serious act that can that can drive numbers um once he has the world title around his waist and i just i want to see his other counterparts around that push stick uh stick to that game plan so not a bad match but just 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 the wrong tone for what they're looking to do Interesting, because I didn't, I didn't have that perspective. I thought it was an absolute ba- like the crowd was all the way in. I think people were surprised by the ending. Um, yeah, I think just everyone had just penciled in Paige winning, especially if you're going to kick off the show that way to keep the crowd hot in Charlotte, and they went the opposite way. But I thought the story was good. It took multiple V triggers and the one wing angel, and it was three on one. It's just if you were going to build the elite as the way they're currently constructed and calling him the Michael Jordan of professional wrestling and all that kind of stuff, then like. You cannot have him lose a three-on-one, overcoming the odd situation to Paige. Um, also, just Dark Order has just not been booked in that way, where you're like, they should be going over the elite here. Um, their comedy stuff was was um, it's fun. I like John Silver; he was great here. But like, I I enjoyed the fact that this was kind of a swerve, and that people were like, oh, the elite just they just won, and like the the Melter Driver um, alley oop was. <laughs> I thought funny and like the thing that would have bothered me more about the comedy aspects was if it was new but this has been like this is like the the wrestling version of the young bucks twitter bio right like this is what they do every day this is their characters this is who they who they are in this faction so that didn't bother me because it's just like that's what they've conditioned the fans to want and then when it's time to get serious kenny omega will just kill you like that's ultimately what's going to happen and i don't know i enjoyed it i i did not uh i did not hate it so i mean i, I like the booking i thought of that match was fine in the end in terms of because i think you're right i mean you don't want page to overcome um a three-on-one and i don't, I don't know that you even want to see out of page just get the clean pin over Kenny Omega unless that unless that belt's on the line. So I'm I'm good with the booking and I think you mm-hmm. you certainly lay out the argument that 
Tony Khan would in terms of presenting that act in that in that way, you know, and and clearly like the audience reacted with it. And I'm a big you know proponent mm-hmm. of hey, it may not work for me, but the audience was you know was on board. So you know he's they're not totally missing. Just personally speaking, I think you can draw bigger money with Omega and Page if you just stay away from that stuff. I thought they. St- they struck a good tone in the weeks leading up here, and it's not something that I think is going to derail the feud either. But just looking at a at a show that was really a solid, solid show, top mm-hmm. to bottom. So I'm a little nitpicky, sure, but you know I, I still think there's a, an avenue to just get down to just straight up pro wrestling and and tell a simpler story. That's fair. Um, that's fair. I I'm curious to see where they go with Jericho. Because I feel like there's going to be one final big reveal, right? Like, you did Nick Gage this week. You did Hoovy. Clearly, this is going to end with something bonkers. Do you have any... Like, it's not going to be Punk, even though Punk would actually make a lot of sense here um, as the last guy with their history. But um, I don't know. I've enjoyed this a lot. And I thought it was interesting because you, like, Bischoff went against Gage today. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. There were a lot of people, but I will tell you, like, I am curious to see what people thought of it. Like, I don't know. I wish I could have, like, polled, or they would have polled the people um, who are in the building, or people watching at home, like, what did they think of that match on television? Because it was pretty brutal. And just watching oh, yeah. the, piece, the pizza cutter across your head is the most difficult, I think, to watch. And then just the jabs and the skull to Jericho, and Jericho getting super bloody, but he's super over, and the crowd was into it. And also, just, like... I'm curious to see how that translates, but it's something different. Like AEW, more than anything else, I give them credit for is the fact that they just try stuff. They are yeah. just like, hey, we'll bring in Nick Gage. He's hot right now. He just had an insane uh, death match with Matt Cardona. Like he's hot. People are into him. People are like he was in the Vice documentary. Like he is a hot name. We're gonna see how it translates to television. And if it doesn't work, then that's it. Like they can just experiment. And I thought. It was different. I, I am not a deathmatch person. I wouldn't watch this every week. I think it, it's a tough watch. But I think for the story they're telling with Jericho and what MGF's doing to him, I think uh, I think it's good. And I think the crowd was crowd was into it, even if they were uh, shielding their eyes a little bit. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I, I think you know you with Nick Gage. I don't look. He's not going to be somebody. I, I don't know that he's going to even get offered a contract with AEW and even if he is he's not somebody that you're going to trot out there for that kind of match every single week mm-hmm. on either Dynamite or Rampage it's just it's just not going to happen and it, and, it, and it shouldn't happen I mean Dynamite and AEW and, and Tony Khan like they can't play these blood and guts cards every single week because you need mm-hmm. to you need to save up some of that stuff so that you have matches you can go to to for, for big time feuds to, to, to wrap them up. So they have to be a little careful about that. But like you said, though, this match and this guy at this time made perfect sense for the MJF and Jericho story. It made sense for kind of the momentum that, that Nick Gage has outside of AEW right now. So it was a real, like, stars aligning type moment. And it is fresh to see um, a company, and Tony Khan in particular, just have the ability to look at the wrestling landscape, pick out some of that hot stuff and say, Hey, who knows if it'll actually work, but let's, let's give it a shot. At the very least, 
it's fresh. It's somebody new in the main event, right? It's a, it, it's just, it's new. You're not like saddled with the same six man tag over and over and over again, or the same, you know, roll of finishes over and over and over again, you know, like in your, in your main events and in your top program. So I don't know what the numbers will be. We're recording this before, I believe before any ratings have been mm-hmm. um, released for last night's show. So we'll see, we'll see how it did for, from that perspective, because that's so that'll be a the be all end all way of kind of an anal- analyzing quote unquote, you know, whether it really works. But regardless, it worked for the story, and Jericho overcoming was obviously the right call. I think they do, you know, maybe not so much. I mean, they they announced um, um Guerrera for for next week. We don't know who the number four uh, labor will be for Jericho, but he's got one more after that, and I, I think yeah that is one you want to look at to be some type of big reveal. I don't know any names that are popping in my head right now, but, but yeah, like, I don't know that that even has to be on, on CM Punk's level, but somebody mm-hmm. that's going to drive a little intrigue as, as that last one. Yeah. I'd written down, like I was watching the, I mean, in the middle of the show, cage and jungle boy going over the, the Hardy family office or whatever they're calling this, this latest iteration of the faction. Get <laughs> yes. Matt Hardy stuff going. Um, I did appreciate Private Party rocking like the the early two thousands, late nineties spinoff <laughs> Hardy Boys attire. I, I appreciate that. But um, I was writing down. I was like, Cage, like the fact that they, they there was a lot of New Japan on this show, and the the Forbidden Door was mentioned multiple times. I was a little nauseating. But um, something I'd written down was like, with guys going to Impact and doing month long tapings, <clears throat> and Kenny carrying being the bell collector and holding the impact world title or i'm just like cage there's no room for him right now like there's nothing yeah. for him to do and impact could absolutely and if you're going to use these partnerships anyway just put cage to give him like three months in impact like i would have him like you already had the little bit of the standstill story with omega and cage anyway when he first debuted and all that kind of stuff in the stare down which feels yeah. like forever ago just have Omega drop the belt to Cage on Impact and let Cage do that for, for a couple of months while also working AEW when he needs to. Like, that is something I don't really understand why they don't do because Impact could use it. I don't, like, the Impact ratings are god awful in the new shows. And I, and I enjoy it, and there's a lot of good talent over there, and I like the working together. But, like, that would make some sense to me because he has no place in this card. Like, I, I don't know where he fits, and there's no there's no path up for him. Yeah, well, and especially now when you know you have these rumors of you know Brian Danielson coming in, CM Punk, you know potentially coming in. It's like quickly, you know, he goes from like, you know, he, I wouldn't even call him a, a hot get because I think mm. given the hype of that announcement, it kind of it underdelivered. But you're right, he especially as a babyface too. Like that that area is is crowded, um, and he's not even a you know. I wouldn't say he's getting a top five babyface reaction um, on that show mm-hmm. on a regular basis. The impact idea is interesting. Um, I think impact could certainly use somebody of of his stature, and and, and you'll see it <laughs> if if they ever go that route. You'll see what kind of draw Christian really is because that show is suffering from ratings, even with Kenny Omega, even with Jay White. Like it's not, it hasn't picked up momentum from a numbers perspective, even though I think the product itself um, has been better uh, of late and is a, and is a fun watch 
from a critical uh, perspective. But I, I think the avenue for Christian, man, is is get get him on the heel side of things. I think Jungle Boy is the perfect guy to turn him against. I think Jungle Boy mm. could use, you know, a veteran um, a veteran opponent with some name value to to work with and have like a multi multi week multi month. Um, type feud you know he's not going to do that at the top of the card but christian could serve as a good entry point to see okay we know jungle boy can have some good matches but can he develop his character a little bit can he tell you know a long-term story that weaves in and out of uh, of a a month's worth of uh dynamites into into a pay-per-view i think that's very valuable for him and i think christian could thrive in that role too yeah i don't mind that either i don't mind that um, any final things on AEW this week? Do you, who do you think goes over next week in the homecoming match? Black or Cody? And also, we should mention Black was super over and there were boos for Cody, right? Like, yeah. I, the, Cody is not. I wonder if he knows. Like, is this something that they are aware of that Cody is <laughs> not exactly a babyface? I think they are. I think okay. they are because if you listen to. I don't know if you listen to the commentary, you know, there's not there's not an attempt right now on his part or just his presentations part or like on from the announcer perspective to kind of flip, you know, the audience in any way. They're not trying to drive home, you know, that he's a that he's a good guy. So I think he's kind of in no man's land a little bit. He's getting a reaction because he's a big star. Um, But that's a project for me. If I'm AEW define Cody. What what lanes he going to be in? You know, now that we're in the back half of this year, I think that's that's really important. Black has to get the win. I mean, I really think if he's going to be a player, you know, he's going to be, you know, a top tier guy that's going to work with top talent, either as a babyface or as a heel. You know, whether you set him up to work, um, you know, Kenny Omega down the road as a babyface, or maybe you keep him heel and he's in line to to challenge. Adam Page, you know, for the title in the future, if, if Page wins the, the championship, he, you know, he has to establish credibility out of the gate. He has to establish that he's, you know, frankly, you know, not the same, quote unquote, you know, jobber guy that he ended up being in um, in WWE. I think he needs to redefine himself in that regard. And I don't think Cody loses anything or loses any steam by by doing that job for him. I think it helps the show and it helps Black as an act. So I I fully expect him to go over. And last note just on last night's Dynamite. I mean, you can't overstate just how hot that product is right now. Mm-hmm. Like, whether you – I think the, the main event is going to be polarizing in terms of opinions. and Too violent, you know, or, or not, there's going to be that line in the sand that it, – it, it, that's a valid discussion to have. But regardless, that crowd reaction is there, and it's not – just a hot product it seems like it's a hot product that's that has a vision too, short term and and long term Mm -hmm. and that's a that's a dangerous combination and and an exciting one at that absolutely um what i i lost my mind like the two raws like there it's a tradition like this is a tradition unlike any other where monday night raw is back with fans and i am spending a lot of time angrily watching writing down notes like what the fuck is this And this week we had the contenders match branding where I almost just fell out of my chair. And I, I, it's almost like someone in the back is like, 
How do we how do we annoy Chase on a Tuesday morning? How do we <laughs> how do we how do we really send him over the top when he writes about this terrible show? Like Monday Night Raw sucks. It's an awful program. Yeah. It's an yeah. awful awful program. However, there are ways to remedy it to make it not awful, and they elect not to by doing this contenders match thing where you have to beat the challenger. Hey, dude, I'm gonna stop you for one mm. second. There's a, you're not gonna believe this, but there's an ice cream truck that's about to drive. By. Oh no, that's perfect. There's probably one that's gonna drive by my house. Like there's one over Dude, here. This I don't is know. Unbelievable, where... man. This is great. This I is like ASMR. I've seen an ice cream truck out of this block in in, <laughs> in forever. So could... Incredible. No, I'm leaving I'm sure... all this in. By the way, you gotta have the. <laughs> yep, here it is, in all, in all its glory. <laughs> Can't, can't escape it. Oh my gosh. I don't know how people drive ice cream trucks. Dude, like, I would kidding. lose my mind after an hour. He's going two two miles an hour, and the song is blaring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know that song is not going to change. So, you know, good, good on all him. Day. I hope he does Hope he does good business today. Let's, let's hope so. Um, but yeah, <laughs> right, so the contenders match thing, like, you had the United States match where the crowd was hot. Priest had this great win. And then it's like, oh, the title didn't change hands because now he gets to actually have another match. And then you had this last week where Charlotte and Rhea tore the house down, had the best match at Money in the Bank. And they were like, what if we did it again and let fans forget that they had the best match in the night on Sunday night? And we'll just, we'll just try it again. Um, yeah. And then you have Nikki Ash, who you cash in. And there's mixed opinions on this. I think Nikki Cross is a good worker. I don't think she made a lot of sense in her promo. This week in the opening promo, I thought Charlotte is still just unbelievable at the moment. Like Charlotte is on another level right now, and Rhea is yeah. extremely over and a lot more over than Nikki. And it's just like one of those things where they don't look at the organic approach. Like AEW's taking the long, long game with Adam Page, where they're like they waited for fans to get back into him, invest back into him, and chant cowboy shit and all that kind of stuff. But like yeah. they they do this thing where they're like, if we put the title on them, maybe fans will like them and get them over. It's like, well, no, you have to get them over, and then the crowd is hot for a title change and stuff like that. Nikki winning the money in the bank and then immediately cashing in doesn't doesn't help her. And her whole thing about the butterfly stuff did not go over well with the fans. And I was like, oh, this is this is bad. And her just her immediately losing clean to Charlotte and being like, I learned in this loss that I can beat you. And next week I'm gonna. It's like, what is happening? Who is writing this yeah. character? Like I, Charlotte's right about everything. Like that was something I wrote this week. Yep. Is Charlotte's right about everything? And I don't know, man. This show, I. <laughs> am I am I being too harsh or is this show just really really bad? No, I don't I don't think you're being harsh enough to be honest. I mean, it's 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 miscalculated, it's it's out of touch, it's tone deaf, and on top of all that, there's just not enough stars no <laughs> to carry the 3 hours. Like period. And so, I mean, real quick, yeah, on the championship contender stuff, like here's the thing. That's it's that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is just not not a thing. I know it's you know it looks fancy on a graphic, you know, when you're trying to promote a match, but really that's just not something that's not a thing. Like have a have a number one contenders match. Like, you know, you had even in the the case of the United States championship, you had, you know, a batch of contenders that can play there. You had Ricochet in the money in the bank match, so he wouldn't seem totally out of place being in some kind of number one contenders match like that. You've got Humberto Carrillo who's, you know, flirted with that that title so you know put damian priest 
in a match like that and just build normally to mm-hmm. to a darn title feud and wait for that match to go down at the pay-per-view or on whatever show that you're that you're promoting towards i mean it's this it's not it's not necessarily rocket science it certainly Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be and i think wwe gets just too cute and and too focused on well we have to i don't know make make damian priest seem more popular or bigger than he is and i think people just want to attach themselves to a story they want to go on that ride with their favorite characters it's why you know adam page is working so well it's why even wwe acts like daniel bryan and becky lynch and cm punk like it's why that stuff works because fans are on the on the journey with that and that 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 stuff matters and i think wwe if you look at the landscape of really everybody Mm -hmm. everybody on on both rosters there's nobody that is on that type of path at this point. Maybe Big E with the with the, the money in the bank. I think he, you know, he cut a decent promo to start things off on SmackDown. Not great, but but decent. But outside of that, there's nobody that's on that kind of journey right now where you can sense a groundswell of momentum behind them. And I think the shows, both Raw and SmackDown, are, are lacking are lacking because of it. In regards to to Nikki Ash or Nikki Ash. That character absolutely needed a journey like that. It either needs a journey like that or it needs like instantaneous fan reaction that mm-hmm. tells you as the booker, hey, this is working. Because she won the title. Yeah, that was fun for that audience in the building to see. But it didn't carry over in terms of momentum to, to this week's show. And so what you got was this flat kind of comedy character opposite a tried and true star in Charlotte standing opposite each other in the ring. And it looked exactly like it looked, which is, you know, Nikki's not on Charlotte's level. And I think if you tell that story of her trying to overcome and trying to get to that level over a six month period or eight month period, you can build that story easily. It's not a, it's not a new story in the world of wrestling, but you can't tell it over the matter of three weeks time. It just, you can't create enough, audience investment to do that so it was rushed and i think she's probably probably gonna sink in the end because of it yeah i think people are gonna reject it like it's yeah. it's not yeah. good and it doesn't help that becky's still looming in the shadows and they're chanting becky in these segments and it's just it's sitting right there charlotte's the hottest she's been and people just want charlotte and becky that's it like, that's all they want yeah. and yeah. It's just Nikki's kind of been an unwinnable situation because no one wants Charlotte Nikki, especially after Charlotte Ripley, where it's just they tore the house down and then Nikki and her were just okay. Nikki's just a right. It's just like, I mean, the hurricane stuff works for her because she really is like a C plus character. But when you're in the ring with two A plus players and Ripley and Charlotte and potentially Becky, it just it looks wrong. It doesn't. It does. It, it doesn't look right. It, it does. And if you're gonna try it. Like you gotta be um, cognizant of the fact that it's gonna take time to get people invested. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just kind of a you're just watching. Oh, that's Nikki Cross, and she's dressed up in a in a superhero outfit. Like you haven't taken the time to tell a story otherwise and define really deeply who who that character is. And I think you know it'll get some laughs here and there at this point. But is it somebody that can stand opposite Charlotte or a Becky or? Or even a even a Rhea Ripley, like 
no, it's not. It's not. It, it needs it needs work, and you know, trading wins back and forth doesn't help her either. No, and also it didn't even like it was a heelish way to win. Like I don't right. like Charlotte was hurt after the match. Like it was a lame cat. It was not a babyface cash in. It was a uh, it was it was dumb. And she talked about it. like she said, and Charlotte said, "You can't beat me in a normal match." And then she can't beat her in a normal match. So it's like, why is she not champion? This is the dumbest story. Um, yes. <laughs> Yeah, Keith Lee and Karrion Cross. No momentum there at all either. Just uh, rough. Monday Night Raw is a rough, rough show. And that, yeah, and so, like, that point, like, it, it makes things even more confusing because you have, all right, like, Raw has been a rough show. It, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not just rough the last couple of weeks. I mean, it's been one for, you know, a considerable amount of time. Uh, right now really i'd say i'd argue like post wrestlemania mm-hmm. it's been kind of a rough a rough go with some hits you know intermittently throughout uh the few weeks but generally speaking i think it's been rough since wrestlemania and w- regardless of how you feel about carrying cross i don't like personally my take on him is i don't think he has a ton of range and mm-hmm. isn't going to be a guy that you necessarily strap the entire company to but it's the bray wyatt thing a- yeah yes i think that's a really good comparison absolutely but you know bray wyatt you know he can in his role on the show freshen things up he can come out there and when he does he's not a top level guy top tier guy but he's mm-hmm. a player that people pay attention to and i think you had that in carrying cross and not only do you just totally neuter the whole act by getting rid of the entrance and getting rid of Scarlet, like, and you just set him up for failure as far as that goes, because let's be honest, that's a big part of what he brings to the table. It's yeah. the it's the presence and not so much the the in ring work. Yeah, well, once he's in the ring with Adam Cole, you're like, oh, this guy's not not there. there. Right, this guy's not there. And so you take all that other stuff away and make him just kind of rest on that in ring stuff, which. You know, Vince McMahon and everybody who's watched Karrion Cross knows isn't there. Mm-hmm. And that's all you leave him with. And then on top of that, you then saddle him with a loss to Jeff Hardy, who weeks before that was doing jobs to Jinder Mahal's guys on, on main event. Like, it's a just, I don't know. It's like just an obnoxious misstep that's unnecessary. Like, and almost as if you're sabotaging your, your own show. Because at worst... Carrying Cross could be a you know a feature segment as long as he keeps winning um, week in and week out to try to establish him and you know whether you go all the way with him that's a different different topic altogether but it doesn't matter because in the short term week to week he can matter he can give the show a fresh mm-hmm. take and I think already you know he's behind the eight ball in terms of him fulfilling even that low of a bar. I agree. I I don't know. I, it's just it's also one of those things where they're just so lazy. They don't explain anything. Like why is he why is he there? Like there's an easy way to explain carrying cross on Monday Night Raw, which is yeah. Regal sent him away. Like they're tired of it. Regal and Smojo were tired of him. They're tired of putting up with him. Raw took him, and Adam Pierce is like, yeah, we got this new guy from NXT, the champion. He's he, like point out his record, point out his dominance, showcase all that kind of stuff, do some vignettes. Um, there's a way to do it like that makes it interesting like he got kicked out of nxt that is an interesting angle of like the champ got kicked out and they don't want him around um there's a way to do that and also like just not having scarlet is just stupid like it's just one of those things it's just it's dumb like it's just something that helps like the coolest thing about him is his entrance and if you want to get somebody over um a good entrance is a is a nice little start um and and, and real quick on that mm. it's a a really good point because not only would that connectivity 
between like giving Karrion Cross that type of definition. Like, hey, this is why he's on Raw. Like, it also you can use that to sell NXT. Mm-hmm. You know, to like sell what he's done on NXT, and when he, if there's a time when he inevitably would, would go back to kind of face off in this case with, with Joe again, you have some investment from a bigger audience that's seen him on Raw, see that story play out a little bit on Raw, and maybe you know maybe you pull a couple of viewers over there. So I totally agree with you on that. Establishing him with some, with with context, like good or bad, big or small, anything at this point would be better than just trotting him out there without any real background. I agree. Um, it's also a good reminder of you shouldn't watch the weekly television shows the next day. Like, I'm very much against it. I think it the fact that there's no synergy is enough. Like, the cross stuff is just like, there's no reason to emotionally invest in anyone next day. Like, it's a different yeah. show. It's a different roster. It doesn't matter. It doesn't permeate into the main show. Um, you could be like Keith Lee and everything just dropped and just pretend like it didn't happen. Like, there's just no reason to spend time on a show that doesn't translate to the main two shows. Like, there's just none. And I, I don't want... Like, I, I wish I could, but I'm like, I can't. Like, there's just... It's such a waste of time. Like, it just drives me nuts. So I'm just like, I'll yeah. watch the takeovers because that's the best part of them anyway. But I don't know. I think the only way to save Raw and NXT at this point, because they're both on USA, is to combine them. Like, do the first hour, go back to one-hour NXTs, do that to kick off Raw, and then do a two-hour Raw show. That's what I would do. Do you... Do you... I mean... What's your? Where are you at on carrying cross? Like, because sometimes I feel like I'm in a, a little bit of a bubble on that. I, I just I don't see a huge upside for him. I mean, is I your take that he can merch. be a top guy? No, he's not a top guy, but he can move a lot of merch. I think yeah. um, he's someone that uh, a certain demographic would find attractive. <laughs> I, I always yeah. do the test like girlfriend's obsessed with Roman rights and I'm like oh I get it it's like the Randy Orton thing too where there, there's value yeah. in that there is real value um, I think his size like he's huge um, that, that always works well in Vince McMahon's world but I think it's also just like the Bray Wyatt thing where it's once he gets in the ring you're like oh it, it's a different era like carrying cross in 1998 I think could be a bigger thing um, yeah. here I think he's just a good B plus guy that you you kind of feed in the Braun Strowman, Kane type thing where it's like you give them a, a big time world title feud because it looks right, but you don't like give them a year long reign. That's boring. It's like the Shayna Baszler thing too, where Shayna is not all that interesting, but she's a good hand. And when you need to throw out, it's like that reign really sucked. Like it just, it, people yeah. mistook longevity with interesting. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. It just lasted forever. It wasn't good. It, it, I promise you, it was not that interesting. Um, but yeah. no, I, don't, I would not strap the company uh, to a Karen Cross rocket. Like I just, that's not not something I would do. Uh, but I do think he has value if you understand where he is. It's like the Drew McIntyre thing. Drew McIntyre is not yeah. an A plus guy, but he's been booked better than anyone in the WWE has been booked in years. Like that man, they gave him every single opportunity to be the top guy, and he's just not that guy. Like he's not, he's not there. He just doesn't. He's a he's a B plus guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's going to have a chance here, Drew, in particular, to mm-hmm. change your opinion on that. I think. No, I mean, thanks. I think... Nope. Sorry, Zach. I'm out. <laughs> I, I won't do it. It's been two years. It's a it's a running joke with the pod of everyone that has a div- divisive uh, Drew McIntyre Boy. perspective. He's very polarizing on this podcast. You're, you're giving him a you know you're saddling him to his uh, Thunderdome work, eh? No, I'm, before that too. It's just like. The Scottish Warrior, the history stuff, like his in-ring work, it's just he keeps trying to do different things and the kilt and the sword. He's just so ho- like it's just not not. It's just <laughs> he's treated like Hulk Hogan on this show. 
uh, before this and like the legends all looking to him and I'm like this is not reality what are we talking about like Roman Reigns makes sense like this is ridiculous the way we are booking Drew McIntyre and the Scottish cyborg to the Scottish warrior and all they just keep trying different things where it's just like who else got this many opportunities who yeah well with him it, I think too it's I think what they've missed on that front is you don't I don't think you need to be cute with him that way mm-hmm. like I think that he what, however high he'll get like however popular he'll get or just whatever is rooted in just him I mm-hmm. think just him out there chasing the title or being champion is enough he doesn't need the sword he doesn't need the little stone that he sticks it in for the pyro because you're right that is incredibly hokey and I think it at this point it really has hurt him and, and story time too it's like you know get away from that stuff if you want to try to go with Drew McIntyre you know go with just with him and well I think there'll be a, a moment here <laughs> that you probably won't like when he gets featured at the top of the card again they've got to pivot away from that hokiness to if they want a, any shot at, at keeping him there Mm, no thanks don't want to envision it don't want to envision it um i've had enough of that um last thing we'll wrap up here zach um how do you think this finn reigns cena story ends gosh so on the surface i've let i liked what they did you know i i liked reigns kind of big footing cena out of the gate and just saying hey like you know you're not you're not worth it to me i think that's like kind of you know what the alpha heel might do who he presents as above this guy but also if reigns plays it right he can sell in a way that makes it that shows the audience that he's still a little worried you know about that match to, to kind of put cena over so i like how they set the table finn balor uh, unfortunately i think is gonna just be a prop in that storyline I, I see obviously reigns going over in a big way and i also I think they probably can work some kind of angle where just Reigns just takes liberties with, with Finn, you know, and, and it's not good for Finn on the main roster, but I, I see a scenario in which Reigns just lays him out in complete and utter brutality after the match. Cena runs out to make the save, and, and now you have something a little more serious kind of rooting, rooting the two of them together. I, I, I view this match much more as an avenue to showcase the heel powerful destructive roman reigns than you know some sort of finn balor flirtation with the main event mm. yeah i would you pull the trigger even if cena doesn't keep it very long like just pull the trigger on get letting him break flair's record at SummerSlam. i would not no no nope, mm. I, I would not do that uh, and it's not because unfortunately that's the wrong take Zach, uh, as the arbiter of good takes. You want Cena to trump Flair, huh? I do. And I also just think it would be a good moment. Like, there's going to come a tipping point with Reigns, and Reigns has been awesome, and this stuff is great. But have you looked at the amount of heel dominance across these shows in the WWE right now? Like, there is, with fans back, like, you got to throw them a bone. You got to give them something. Because if, like, Lashley Goldberg, like, they're not... They're not going to throw them a bone. Like, you have Cross on NXT. You have heels everywhere. You have the Usos now as the tag team champions. You have the AJ and Omos. You have Sheamus. You have Apollo Crews. Like, it's just heels everywhere. Heels all over the place. And yeah. that was good for the Thunderdome. I think heels work better um, in, under that capacity. But, like, I don't know. I think there, it would be cool to just have a SummerSlam moment where he goes over there. Like, and then you do whatever. Like, Cena closing out SummerSlam with the fans celebrating. Uh I'd be okay with it. 
you know, I mean, you can even have Rock interfere on Cena's behalf. <laughs> oh God! See, well, okay. And then there's all kinds of stuff there, and then we just have the all-time biggest feud of all time. There you go. <laughs> you go down road like that. I mean, you're you're on the road at least to to convince Jimmy. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a feel-good moment. And I think Cena would be, you know, one that you could definitely mm-hmm. you know lean into to get that. My my thing is that. I think a you know Roman Reigns with that championship. I don't think it's necessarily like he needs it for that whole act to work, but it it does just put a stamp on like that guy and hit him at the top of at the top of SmackDown. So that's number one. Number two, man, like that's a moment they've built up Roman Reigns losing that title into something now. You know, over the course of the last year, that whoever's the guy to do it, it's it's going to mean something in, in a really really big way and so i i lean on and now i don't wwe to be able to thread this needle so that's you can certainly beat me over the head with that point and i'll and i'll get it but if it's me i'm still holding out hope that we can build up you know a, another top level baby face somebody fresh that can knock reins off that pedestal and kind of assume you know, the role as a top guy with him. And I don't I don't think that's Drew McIntyre. I don't think that's Cena. I don't think that's The Rock. I I, I, I think That guy's not in the company right now. That guy might not be in the company right now. And so until I just think there's more business to be done with Reigns as as champion. And so I keep the belt there, but it's a difficult argument to defend because like you said, you, you eventually do have to give the fans something to be excited about. And while Reigns is fun to watch, he's He's a bad guy. He's a heel. And that'd be like watching, you know, eight Star Wars movies where Darth Vader wins every single right. time, you know? Nobody's coming back for the ninth. So yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a tough spot. And I think it's symptomatic of WWE not having the proper guy booked waiting in the wings to kind of take to take that take that spot. Um, but if I'm Vince McMahon, I'm still I'm frantically looking to find that person and get that person ready to to kind of own that moment so maybe my opinion will change in a month's time but for right now you know yeah we're gonna stay in disagreement on this one man <laughs> there you go zach what can we check out from you uh this week uh on the internet and uh, pw torch or whatever yeah uh God, first off thanks so much for having me it's been a blast and i i really appreciate the invite and if you guys want to check out my work it's up um consistently and regularly at, at pwtorch.com I uh, do um, a, a, a receipt column after every single major show of the week, just kind of detailing bullet points uh, of different thoughts on different segments throughout all the shows. So the AW one um, just went up earlier this morning, so you can check that out. SmackDown will be coming a little bit later. And then if you're interested in more of my audio work, um, go VIP at PWTorch, pwtorch.com slash go VIP. I do a show called On the Canvas on a weekly basis that – dives into the art of wrestling within a current event so we kind of leave some of these booking decisions and who should win who should lose who should be pushed at the door and just kind of talk about the art of a current event so maybe a frame-by-frame match breakdown or some kind of promo analysis but just kind of analysis rooted in the artistry of the business um and that's weekly for vip members so pwtorch.com slash go vip and then uh, give me a follow on twitter it's at Z Haydorn Torch. All right. Well, keep up the great work, sir. And uh, let's do this again soon. Absolutely, man. Whenever. And uh, I got to flip around and, and have you on my show sometime soon, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Zach. I will talk to you soon.
Thank you, sir. All right, it is Thursday night, so you know the Chase Thomas Podcast is back as it is every single night, seven days a week, no days off, out hustle everyone here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Uh, I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and it is, like I said, Thursday when we're recording this episode, and I am joined by fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It's uh, good to be back. Every day is Thursday, as we always say. So uh, nice to be talking, talking ball. Mm. Well, it's been a roller coaster of a day for me, Matt. Uh, wh- why is that? I finally took a sorting hat quiz. Like I've read the Harry Potter books multiple times. It's one of my favorite things. Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. Like that. Mm-hmm. And that was my story. <laughs> I, uh, the, the girlfriend and I, we, we took the quiz cause I was just curious. Um, I forgot how it came up, but, um, while just doing other work, I was just like, Oh, let me just see what this is. And I've just always assumed I was Slytherin. Like I've just operated under the belief. You're a hundred percent Slytherin. Well, here's where you're wrong. See, the, it sounds like an insult though. It does. But, but Slytherin, you know, they have a lot of positives that go with the Slytherin thing. Go on. Like if they're... Like uh, cunning, is that mm-hmm. is that like a good description? Like clever, mm-hmm. that kind of shit. But it's usually, it seems like they're all for evil. But I would imagine the what Snape was a Slytherin, right? Correct. And Snape was a good guy, like at heart, you know. Mm-hmm. He was just like whatever. But I don't know. It seems weird that a school would exist, and we're just gonna like a quarter of the kids here are just gonna be fucking evil, like Death Eaters or whatever. Like that seems like a flawed. A flawed institution, but what do I know? <laughs> J.K. Rowling knows more than me. Also, the majority of those kids were not uh, Death Eaters. No, but all the Death Eaters were Slytherins, right? Or is that not, am I... Well, we don't know correct? all the Death Eaters. We're, we're not privy to... That's fair, that's fair. Just the ones that we know. The majority, yes, um, did fit in that. And part of it was because Voldemort... Um, spoiler alert, Tom Riddle was a Slytherin. <laughs> yeah. But, um... um no, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, got out... you, I got you. I derailed you. What? Uh, back to your back to your house, your sorting hat. I got Ravenclaw. Hmm. I don't know what that means. So Ravenclaw's three adjectives to describe Ravenclaw, um, and also Luna Lovegood from the movies was Ravenclaw. That. If that... Okay, she's the the pale blonde, blonde. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she was a cool character. Well, the three adjectives to describe them wit learning and wisdom and so you think you possess these things i don't think that that's what this sort of <laughs> hat gave me interesting and i think Honestly, part of I've, i'm just uh you know shallow i guess surface <laughs> surface level like i just like the color scheme for Slytherin. honestly that that dark green and gray, I feel like that'd be my squad right there. Mm. If you got an invite when you were in middle school, would you have gone? To Hogwarts? Mm-hmm. Or would you have been like, <laughs> no, I'm okay? Honestly, I don't even know. 
the eleven year old version of me. I don't even know. <laughs> I I remember talking college football. This is, uh, this is a big year. <laughs> but I mean, you get Quidditch instead. Quidditch World Cup. You get some Victor Crumb action out there in Belgium. Oh yeah, that's that was uh, super hype. That was um, the whole tournament or whatever. I was I was a big fan of that part. That whole tournament or whatever. I, I like I'm it. I'm not like an expert <laughs> in Harry Potter. I just saw the movies. Just a little offensive. Tori Tori is like hardcore Harry Potter all the way. Mm. Like she's big time Harry Potter. She has like multiple tattoos based on Harry Potter stuff. Really? So she's, she's diehard. Like, what Harry like, Potter tattoos does she have? Oh man, putting me on the spot. You should know this. There's one that says like ex- Ecto Patronum or whatever, mm. and then she has a little like bumblebee that I think is supposed to be something that's associated with. Um, that's a Harry transformer. Potter. In some way, and then she has a lightning bolt. But um, yeah, she's got multiple ones. But then she's got like one for Zeus. One that's like an F. She's got a bunch of tattoos, but they're all like small, like girl tattoos. You know Do you I mean? have I any? I don't have any tattoos. Does she want you to get some? No, I, I think she regrets getting tattoos after the fact. She's like, I probably shouldn't have got Harry Potter tattoos, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I mean, she's she's cool. They're not like big, like easy to hide, you know. So she's not like she doesn't like re- regret regret it, you know. Hmm. Interesting. So. But, yeah. We should before we get into our Pac-12 preview and some some also some quick headlines stuff that we got to we got to touch on with this conference realignment mess. But um, she wanted us to give a shout out to an Instagram page. That's true. She's we should do it. <laughs> not not yet. I think you have to have a certain number of followers. But yeah, uh, she started it because she just wanted to like show people what she's feeding the dogs. Because some days she's like, this is like Instagram level stuff right here. And I was like, start an account. Like do it. But we talked about it for a while, so she did it. But it's Zeus and Maddox, and um, followed it. Following on IG, just Rottweiler dog content and what they're eating. It's good stuff. I was blown away by the food. I'm not gonna lie, Matt. Like I looked it's, at yeah, that. Yeah, she feeds. It's honestly like when she before we got together, she would like legit cook stuff for Zeus. <laughs> now it's like kibble and then like chop up some vegetables that throw mm. on there or like there's fruit and stuff in the morning like she's she goes all out for sure no she goes all out all out like it is and it, it looks like i don't know how to explain it like for people who have to go check it out but i was baffled that i thought it was for humans like it was a very it was like one of those pokeballs is what it looked like um but I did not realize it was actually for the dogs. And I, I just wonder, does she not think about like, oh, look at this amazing meal I just prepared. And they just like, de- just destroy it and just bury their face in it and just she tear it She loves it though. Cause she's just like, they clearly love it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, obviously, I don't know if they're eating it faster than they would eat anything else, but for sure. It makes her feel good. It's just annoying because I'm like, I'm like cooking all the dinner with like no help, and then she'll like come in there like last minute, and then she's like preparing stuff for the dogs. I'm like, what the hell? You even made you didn't help make our dinner, and you're over here cooking stuff for the dogs. It's crazy. Oh, so you're the cook in the family? Oh, without a doubt, man. I know I my way around the kitchen. What is your best meal? 
Oh, I'd probably have to say like, I don't know, like steak and potatoes or something like that. Hmm. That's like my favorite thing to cook probably. Do you cook steak on the grill or on the stove? I, I started doing it on the grill, but it's just, I have a charcoal grill. It's just so much work. So I just do the cast iron like on the stove. That's the way to go. Medium, medium well, medium rare. What do you do? Medium rare, son. Mm. Man, medium, medium to medium rare. It's got to have pink. That's it. That's what it's all about. It does have to have pink. I'm not a medium well guy. I like medium, but medium rare. Yeah. I don't. I'm not a big blood person, but I'm also just not a red meat person. I eat white meat almost every day. Like I'm pretty, pretty yeah. fish and white meat. I don't know. It's more. Yeah, some pasta, like mm. that kind of thing. Tori makes some bomb uh, spaghetti and meatballs, though. That's her jam. These meatballs, like stuffed with cheese and like spinach and all kinds of shit. It's like it's good stuff. Hmm. Okay, I like it. So when the girlfriend and I next come down to to Georgia again, um, I expect a full course meal. Yeah, man, we'll do it up. We'll do it right. Well, let's get into the headlines because this was a just a bonkers week for college football. Um, it's exhausting keeping up with everything, and just the the highlight was the signature from Bob Bowlesby for me to. Uh, <laughs> to um who did even who was that even directed to was that the espn one where he had he signed it that way oh yeah i guess that was that was the the cease and desist mm-hmm. letter to espn right mm-hmm. yeah what the hell was that like there's <laughs> 12 t's in the name bowlsby mm-hmm. like, what, the, what the hell is that incredible he is so angry but like when you read the reporting it's just it's really hard to get a read on how much he knew but it just he strikes me as super naive based on all the reporting I've read. And Greg Sankey strikes me as... <sighs> I got to be careful here. Um, he, uh, let's say he's in the Slytherin family. But let's say that. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and say he's in the Slytherin family. He's not much of a Gryffindor, I would say. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's fair. I, I think like to go saying, into the college football like- playoff committee and I think to meet with these conferences, like to meet with Bowlesby and to talk with him and pretend as though you're not trying to poke away their two biggest cash cows behind his back and then acting like everything's fine at a table discussing the future of college football, I think is morally <laughs> repulsive. Like that's morally repulsive. I couldn't I, that do that. Might be a, it's definitely uh, deceptive, and so I I see your point. But morally repulsive seems like a, a stretch because ultimately, I feel like it's the failure of the NCAA that's like even forcing like anyone to step up and like try to be the commissioner of college football. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've talked about year for years. That's what college football needs. They need a commissioner to just oversee the sport instead of the, the NCAA just kind of steps in when they want and they don't step in at other times and you just have no idea what they're going to do ever at any time. There's just like no precedent. So I feel like I don't really blame Greg Sankey. It's just, it's like running the SEC makes you the most powerful man in college football. So if there's anyone that's going to step up and like change the way college football, I, I don't know. I'm I'm torn. I feel like I was low like a little excited when all this stuff first started happening. But now I'm just like, expanding the playoff was like the reason it was like going to be, was going to fix everything. Like, I don't, 
I don't know about the, all the, the changing the conferences and everything. I just we're losing tradition, and I, that's so much of what makes college football better than the NFL in so many people's eyes. Well, did you see the Stuart? It's interesting that you're saying that because the tradition. Stuart Mandel piece on this speaks to what you're saying, which is now that's grinding to a halt. This jump for Texas and OU um, puts this in the back burner, and the Pac-12's new commish is not happy about any of this. And he wasn't, the Pac-12 wasn't on board. Like they weren't in the meetings yet. Like there's like the, the playoff expansion looked like it may happen as early as 2023, but now it looks like it's 2025 at the earliest because of this realignment drama. Yeah. It just completely changes everything. Like with like, I don't know, are you going to give how many bids can the SEC get now? Like essentially if Oklahoma was in the SEC every year, like, that would essentially have been two SEC teams in like four of the last five years, you know. So, I just I have no idea what what. Well, with the twelve team playoff, you should assume five to six every year. Well, which yeah, is what Greg like, Sankey wants. So Greg Sankey was operating with information that other people in the room did not have, and the reason that he wanted to add them was to get more. And he, like the only reason he's okay with this playoff expansion is because it would give more SEC teams in the playoff and make him more money and make the conference more money, all that kind of stuff. But like that is deceptive. And if it's all about getting more eyeballs on the playoff and everything else, and just at the expense of tradition, like you're speaking to and just like history and like, there's no Texas, uh, Kentucky history. And now we're just going to have to do like, there's nothing. Um, there's no create, there's no, how can I put this? Like there's no regard for the past anymore there's no regard for how quickly things are changing because they're just chasing more money and he just sees more money in more sec teams in the playoff like that's ultimately it and i understand like it's a complicated job and that he's got pressure and his job is to make the the sec as healthy as possible but the sec's healthy it's fine like it, it, if it yeah. didn't do anything else like it's still fine and oh. if you, I, I just think it's frustrating because it's like why can't we just be happy with this like it's good. No one's complaining about the state of the ACE, of the SEC right now. Yeah, exactly. And like they talk about certain sports being like local sports and like national sports that like baseball is more of like a local sport and like NBA is more of a national sport. Like NFL is like a national sport. It's like college football is almost just that perfect combination of being a local sport and a national mm-hmm. sport. It's like you have that regional pride and bias and just all the twitter shit talking of well oh if they played in the sec they couldn't do that every year or the big 10 certain brand of football like this is how we play out here you know and with the 12 team playoff i feel like we were going to get like tangible results of like who plays the best football you know and if we just have a bunch of super conferences joined together it's like it's going to change everything like you know there's years where you people hate on the big 10 because because Iowa's nine and one, and they're winning their games thirteen to ten, and it's like, who knows if Iowa goes up in this twelve-team playoff? Like maybe there was a year that three of the best five teams in the in the country were all in the Big Ten that year, and I feel like that's what the the playoff was going to give us. But now with these super conferences, all obviously there's a chance that three of the best four teams are from one conference, but that's because there's so many damn teams in each conference. Mm-hmm. If if that's what happens, so it's really unfortunate just because history is so much of what makes college football so great and i feel like yeah i just feel like we're gonna lose some of that if even if because 
even with with the proposal we, I talked about last week, like you were gonna lose some of those traditional rivalries, but you were you were doing a you were trying to keep some of them. But it's like Georgia not playing Tennessee every year. It's like that's just not right. It's like it might not be considered like a big time national rivalry, but those teams play every single year for probably the last eighty something years, you know. And it's it's just gonna be weird. When you have these these teams that always play, especially I don't know what they're gonna do with like the in-state rivals uh, with all those SEC ACC matchups like Clemson and South Carolina and all those like something some sort of tradition is going to be lost in continuing to do things, and I feel like if if too much is lost, then college football is no longer the sport that like like for whatever reason is on par within a, with the NFL in our in our country you know it's like i feel like other people look at the united states and they're like wait what the college football is like a big that's that's such a weird concept like the schools football teams it's like an amateur sport that's actually on par in many parts of the country with the professional sports yeah but it just it seems silly to get upset about it because it's just where we're going like you're just gonna be yelling into the void because this is emotion this is happening this is just and i'm curious to see who how the big 12 responds like i what i hope is the the big 12 just eats the aac like that is the best case scenario right to save all this well except for like the names of the conferences that's the only thing that that matters to you like that's the only thing that matters right like well, you add the best eight of the AAC, right? Like you add Cincinnati, you add Houston, you add UCF. Oh, so you don't think they take? That's what you're saying. You don't think they take the whole conference? No. And then the remainder people, you just spin off into independence or whatever. They can join UConn. <laughs> so who who are you leaving out there of the? Uh, mm, let me pull it up. The AAC. Yeah, I got to pull up the AAC right now. So you're taking obviously Cincinnati's, the Memphis, UCF. Because like, you, did you see the report Houston. that the AAC is trying to absorb the remaining eight Big Twelve teams? Yeah, I feel like that makes sense, honestly, because it seems like they're the conference that has is sit, is standing on more stable ground right now. You know, it's like the Big Twelve. Yeah, they have like a much more brand recognition but why do they have brand recognition because of texas and oklahoma like after that like you know there's basketball where kansas is like a powerhouse and obviously baylor just won the national championship but they're not considered that kind of powerhouse so there's just there's just a lot of middle of the road kind of traditions not kind of trying to disrespect the big 12 but it's like they're 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 just filled with a conference that like a team can be four and eight or eight and four like any given year you know what i mean like your your kansas states and your west virginias and tcu like there's just there's not many just consistent and texas tech you know there's not many of those just consistent traditions where like you know an lsu or an auburn where a bad season is four losses that kind of thing like so i feel like with with big with uh the big 12 just losing their two biggest brands it seems like the aac is the conference coming from like the position of leverage and it's like who do you kick out really like looking at it like oh it's easy like navy yeah well it's tulsa navy 
Well, see, Tulsa's been really good, though, in, in recent years. Well, it's not like, big. What I'm saying is it's just not a big school. Like, they're not giving you a, yeah. lot, of, a lot of value. Because Tulane's in a big market, but I feel mm-hmm. like they're one of the more irrelevant ones, honestly. Well, here's my here, – here's count it for me. You ready? So, hold on. How many, so, we have eight big big 12 teams, and so mm-hmm. how many more are you adding? Eight, because you're doing eight 16, okay. just like okay. the SEC. So, you're doing UCF, Houston, SMU, Memphis – South Florida, Cincy. How many is that? That's six. So we get two more. Then I'll do Tulane. And guess what? Guess who's getting kicked out? Navy getting kicked out. I mean, hey, my dad's a Marine. Sorry, Navy. Grandfather. It's not that. Just not. Doesn't make a lot of sense. You know who I'm, you know who I'm adding last? BYU. Oh, wait. So how many So how many did you leave out then? So Four. There's 11 in the you conference left out right now. South Florida? No, I added South Florida. You left out East ECU. Carolina. Mm-hmm. You left out Navy, and you left out Tulsa, and you left out Temple. Mm-hmm. See, the Philadelphia thing, though, I think it would work. They just don't Temple. feel like a Big 12 school. Like, the Big 12 and Temple, like <laughs> downtown Philadelphia. You gotta get over that. That shit sailed, like, 15 years ago. Like, Missouri, once Missouri joined the SEC, I feel like that, that sailed. You know? I don't think that's as egregious. No, West Virginia in the Big 12? Did that ever make sense? Like, no, it should have been the ACC. Like, I don't know how they did not wind up in the ACC. Once Maryland joined the Big 10, I was just like, Notre Dame in the Atlantic Coast Conference? Like, do we all know where the Atlantic Coast <laughs> is? <laughs> yeah. Well, you had a nugget about Quinn Ewers before we get into our Pac-12 preview. Matt Green. Yeah, have you seen... There's rumors that he's leaning towards... So not even the potential that he's leaning towards skipping his senior year in in high school. This is the number one ranked player in the country, number one ranked hair in the country as well. Mm. Seeing this guy's bleach blonde mullet, he's he's sporting. But um, mm-hmm. I guess that's what it takes to be a five star quarterback. You know, uh, you gotta have great hair, great marketability right there. But um, he he's talking about for real skipping his senior year of high school and enrolling in Ohio State, like and. So that he can, because Texas is a state that he can't make money off NIL. So they're talking about this guy could be worth seven figures, just straight skip his senior year of high school. Like this college football is just changing at a rate that none of us are prepared for. Like this is just insane. And obviously, like CJ Stroud has a lot of hype coming into this year, but I feel like it's mainly just because he is the the de facto starting quarterback. I mean. Obviously, he was a big-time prospect. I'm sure he's going to be a good player. But we also we just see what Ohio State does with every quarterback they plug in. So I think everyone was expecting a lot from C.J. Stroud. But, I mean, if this guy comes comes in as a true freshman, obviously it's like a month on campus. Like, I don't know, can he really win the starting quarterback job? But, like, I'm not saying he's got, like, Trevor Lawrence-type height. But, like, it seems like it's just shy of Trevor Lawrence-type height. Like, this guy... They talk about like he's supposed to be a superstar. Yeah. We'll see. We saw this with Tate Martell, though. I, I Yeah, I don't know. Is he now at UNLV? Was that the last I saw? Is he a UNLV Rebel? Wasn't, he was like the 40th ranked player or something in the country, right? I don't think he was like no, number one overall by like everybody. You know what I mean? I feel like there's something, something to be said for that. Okay. Um, let's get into our Pac-12 preview. So we're going to ask each other questions. We're going to do this for every conference. 
um, as we get ready and get closer to the college football season. It's right around the corner, Matt. Like we're we're very close, just over a month away. Um, Thirty-seven days. Crazy, crazy. Um, so we're gonna ask each other questions. We're gonna do our homework on a different side of the conference and pick our brains as to what we think of the side that we covered. Um, let's start, Matt Green, with the Pac-12 South. I'm doing the North as a Oregon State, Washington aficionado myself. Um, no, it was it was really no no option. Like, you're as you're a hardcore Washington Husky fan for those that are just tuning in. Oh, speaking of, we didn't even add this to the news, but Nick Rolovich uh, should be fired. Uh, we did not have that in the news, but um, should be fired. Don't know what's happening there. Um, he's probably gone sooner rather than later. But uh, what a look for him to encourage others to get the vaccine, but also not do it and coach college football this fall. I don't even know. I'm not even aware of this story. What happened now? So he's at serious odds with the administration in school. And like, they're a huge, um, they have a huge medical school. Like, was Wazoo is uh, not the place you want to be pulling this kind of stuff. And uh, uh, the Cougs coach, Nick Rolovich, formerly of Hawaii, is refusing to get the vaccine. And um, also weirdly encouraged other people to get it this week and people are like uh then you just go get it what are you talking about you're coaching all these kids what what are you talking about um mm. so yeah he uh kook center had a whole thing about him stepping down and why he should i agree i just don't think they're like it's just <sighs> to get out of it i just I, i'm so frustrated with all of it right now that i'm just like no gotta go nope sorry it does it is a slippery slope to start firing people for it but um yeah, I know what you mean. Just as far as just it's a it's a bad look for sure. Just from a PR perspective, it's like you're the head football coach. But um, I don't know. It's interesting to me. I I don't know. I'm I'm torn on it. I'm not. No excuse. I'm tired of this. I'm so over this. Just get the jab. Let's <laughs> move on. I'm tired of it, Matt. I'm so I'm just tired of it. I, I really oh, I am. Hear you. It's um it's crazy. Crazy time to be alive. <laughs> For sure, um, and I'm, I apologize to the uh, no, I don't apologize. Get the get the jab. Um, let's start, Matt Green, with USC. Um, by many, uh, if you're not an Oregon believer with their quarterback situation, most people are in on the Trojans and Clay Helton winning the Pac-12 this year. Um, Vegas is kind of split on that a little bit. But my first question for you: When you look at the Trojans, David Pollock high on their receiver. Um, he's talking about him this week, but Drake London. Um, but we have to start with Keaton Slovis. Is Keaton Slovis good enough in your estimation, Matt Green, to lead the Trojans to a surprise college football playoff appearance? Yeah, see, I think a lot was made about Keaton Slovis last year, like just because he didn't look as good. But I wonder how much of it, like subconsciously, had to do with just not being able to process stats for a six-game season. Do you know what I mean? Like, he threw more picks last year. 17 touchdowns to seven picks, 30 touchdowns to nine picks as a, as a true freshman. So, like, obviously it wasn't as good. But if you double that, it's 34 to 14. So he played 12 games, doubled the amount of games. So he was on pace to throw for more touchdowns, but obviously threw more interceptions. I feel like when I watched him play – 
I think you, we both said the same thing. If something didn't look right, I feel like the way he was throwing the ball, it just, it, it didn't look the same as he did as a true freshman. So I think that's why a lot of people are just kind of wondering which, which guy we're going to get. But I think a little, I think a little bit is too much is made of the regression. I don't know. When you see the stats, you're like, he threw 30 touchdowns last year. Only 17 as a sophomore. What happened? And you're like, well, he played six games. Like he, he threw for more yards per game and more touchdowns per game last year than he did as a true freshman. So I think it'll be interesting. And, and you're like, also he threw seven picks, but it's, it's, you also don't just extrapolate stats. You know, maybe he played some of those tougher games and then he was going to have five or six more games where he didn't throw any picks. So it's, it's tough. I feel like he got a lot of criticism last year. Um, the media in SEC or I always say SEC media days because honestly I don't even think about other conferences having media days because it's such a big deal in the SEC. But Pac-12 media days, they were the overwhelming favorite to win the South. Twenty-seven first-place votes. So to Utah and Arizona State, where both got six. So I think they're definitely the favorite. I don't know if I would say they're the favorite. Like you said with uh, Drake London. He's he's a solid receiver. I don't know if he could be the number one guy. Like he makes a lot of those tough catches in traffic, but it's a lot easier to do it as the number two receiver when when you got defenses focusing on a guy like uh how you pronounce his first name Amonra St. Brown. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious to see what we get from him, but I think the biggest. Uh, what's the way to put it? The biggest like X factor for USC, obviously. Well, other than, you know, expecting Keaton Slovis to play well, is going to be Keontae Ingram from Texas. I think if they get – they had basically no running game last year. And so if – I mean, this is a guy who had 853 yards and seven touchdowns for Texas back in 2019. And that was that was in a backfield where Ellinger was getting the most carries and you had another – Rashawn Johnson also had another 600 yards and seven touchdowns. So Texas was spreading – spreading the ball out as far as uh who was getting carries so i think if if ingram is able to come in and give usc a running game i think i could definitely see them being the favorite in the south but personally they are not my pick to win the south Hmm. but i would take the over on the eight and a half just because eight and a half wins just because it's it's hard to see more than three losses on this schedule i feel like nine and three well, let's run through it. Seems like the bare minimum. So, so you run through their schedule. Let me pull it up. I got it in front of me. So, mm-hmm. on the road, you got Notre Dame. I think that's a loss most people would think. Although, you know, I wouldn't hard. think that Notre Dame. I think is in for a down year. But see, yeah, I was also going to say they could regress. But I think that's one of their tougher games. Like you got at Arizona State, and then the other road games are at Colorado, Washington State, and Cal. Like those don't necessarily scare me if I was a USC fan. And then at home you have Utah, UCLA and BYU. So I think that's a very like navigable schedule. Like I don't, I don't see more than three loss. Like I don't probably don't, I'm not sure I see more than two losses, but at the, at, at worst, this team goes nine and three, I would think like in nine and three, they could still fire Clay Helton. But I think nine and three is like the bare minimum of what Clay Helton's got to do to keep his job for sure this looks like 10 and 2 to me i could see that like i think it's going to be next in, enough to win the south yeah i think it's just going to be it's going to be very 
I don't see a scenario where they get... I think they split either Utah and Notre Dame. One of the two, they'll drop. And then I think they drop one of Arizona State, Cal, and UCLA. Okay, I could see that. I see... I'll be honest, I don't know much about Cal. So that's not... Chase Garbers is all you need to know. I was necessarily circling. Bill Musgrave, Justin Wilcox. What is there? What else do you need to know? Cal's loaded. Okay. Pac-12 we'll Dark Horse Cal. Cal. We'll, we'll get to Cal. Okay. I like Cal. Um, yeah, I'm going over. You're, and you're also going over on the eight and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am going over, yeah. I think that's an easy lock-in for me. And you got to record this, Matt, so we can revisit. Yeah, without a doubt. Jot it down so that you can either laugh at me or I'll laugh at you in six months. It's a healthy relationship. Um, next up, UCLA. I am extremely high on the Bruins, on Chip Kelly, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Um, this team is old. They're bringing back their entire offensive line that is actually good. So a lot of teams are bringing back a lot of players this year because of the extra rule of eligibility and transfers and all that kind of stuff. But like, they are actually good players <laughs> they're bringing back, which is important. Um, kind of like Boston College, which we'll get to next week in the ACC preview. But um, with DTR, with this offensive line, do you think this is enough for Chip Kelly to have his first winning season in uh, Los Angeles? If that's the bar we're setting it at, yes. I uh, They were over under seven wins, which honestly, when I'm looking at it, I'm kind of thinking a push. Like I don't know if I don't know if we're allowed to push here. If we got to go over, you can't push. There. Can't push. I would be tempted to go over, ah, but I don't know. Their schedule is just so much more, so much tougher than than USC's. Like we were just looking at. Like they have Oregon at home, and they have LSU at home, but they got Washington on the road. They also have Arizona State at home, but they have Washington on the road and they have USC on the road. And I just that's that's a tough uh, a tough pull from the for lack of a better term from the from the north to have to play Washington and Oregon. So I don't know. And LSU, like, what do you think about LSU? Like, do you think that's a win on UCLA's schedule? I think that really kind of sets the tone for everything. Because if they beat LSU, you know, this could be a nine win team. But if they lose to L, I guess if they lose to LSU, it doesn't really tell me anything. They could they could. Be uh, still a good team in the Pac-12, but I don't know. I'm I'm a, I'm kind of penciling that in as a loss just at first glance. Yeah, I think the LSU thing is just like I have no idea. And we're drawn just saying, oh, we have two national title quarterbacks in Johnson and uh, Brennan. <laughs> I'm just like I I don't know. Like LSU, I have no idea. Like they could be really bad in a disaster. I also just think it's going to be a really high scoring affair. I think it's going on the road all the way across the country too. Yeah, and I actually don't hate this schedule for UCLA. Like, I I don't think it's that bad. Um, this is, like, Stanford on the road is not big. Like, Hawaii at home, Fresno at home. Like, they sh- there's a chance they start out 4-0 before Arizona State gets there in October. But, like, Arizona on the road is not a problem because Arizona stinks. And Washington on the road would be tough. Oregon at home, like you mentioned, I like a lot. At Utah would be tough. Um, at USC, but they played USC super well last year. Took them to the wire at home. I think Cal to close season. Like I look at the schedule, and I'm not scared. Like I think Colorado takes a step back this year. Like I'm looking up and down the list. I'm like, 
nine wins feels about right to me. I think this is a nine and three team this year. I think they're going to be really good and this offense is going to be really dominant. I think Chardonnay and DTR are going to run a crazy option and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think they're going to be one of the most intriguing, fun teams to watch late on Saturday nights when I'm texting you. I'm like, hey, are you watching UCLA right now? Their DTR is putting on a show and you're going to be like, I went to bed two hours ago. I'm not watching Pac-12 After Dark. And I'm like, you you really should. Well, it's good. Well, Zach Charbonnet is an X-factor for sure. Like if he was really good for Michigan, uh, what was that, 2019? Mm-hmm. Like so that's, that could definitely be possible. But like right now LSU is a four and a half point favorite. Just, just take that for what you will. But also I left out at Utah too. Like. I feel like that's not a t- easy schedule, in my opinion. I feel like that's that's going on the road for a few tough games, like Washington and Utah and USC. I think, I think this doesn't look like more than a seven-win team to me. Mm. We'll see. We'll see. I'll lock but in you're over on seven. Chip Kelly than I am. So, so you're, you're going under on this. So I guess if I have to go over or under, I'm going to go under, and mm. you're you're going over. Mm-hmm. Colorado. Carl Durrell, speaking of UCLA, uh, used to coach there a long, long time ago. Um, they had the perhaps best running back in the Pac-12. I think he was first-team Pac-12, uh, Jerick Broussard. They kept Ciarini um, from the old administration. He played there, and he still calm plays and all that kind of stuff. As OC, he thought he was going to get the job, it looked like, before Carl Durrell came out of nowhere and got it. Um, this passing game was atrocious last year. And when I look at the Pac-12, you go to pass, you go to score, um, especially to be at the top of this conference. To keep up with the USC's of the world, you're going to have to score. And that's part of the reason I'm more optimistic about UCLA than other programs right now. But I, I'm i out. Like, the, the over-under kind of baffled me. I was like, oh, my God. Like, four and a half um, is is bad then i look at the schedule and i'm like okay <laughs> i don't know yeah, where these exactly. winter i was thinking the same thing i was like wait weren't they pretty solid last year mm-hmm. like i think they started four and oh yeah but yeah this the schedule it has one of the one of the best games of the season that we all we always love they drew texas a&m in minnesota well the minnesota thing is tough but they're not you know texas a&m and colorado it would be cool to play it in boulder right mm-hmm but it'd be way cooler to play it in Mile High State, <laughs> Denver, right? Because no one wants to play in Boulder with the mountains and everything. No one likes that. We want to play it in the Broncos Stadium. I just don't understand. You're traveling halfway across the country. Like, was that a selling point for Texas A&M? Like, we won't go to Boulder. Denver? Okay, I'll do. Th- I'll do Denver. Like, what is that? Oh, I just it. Grinds my gears, but yeah, they open. Is that the season opener? No, they play Northern Colorado first. Okay. Yeah, and then to have two at a conference games like that, A and M, and and then you start out on the road in Tempe for your Pac twelve schedule. Yeah, that's that's going to be a tough schedule. I I tend to think they'll go over because over is five wins, but <laughs> they're not going to go much over five. I don't see five wins here. You don't see five wins there. It's it's going to be tough. I got Arizona, and that's it. I mean, Northern Colorado. Oh, no, Northern Colorado, excuse me. I see two wins, three max here. I just feel like the Pac-12 is too evenly matched. Like, it's just too... So you're thinking they're going on the road at Oregon? They're going on the road at Cal? They're they're I mean, beating they Washington? Oregon, they got Oregon State at home. Oregon State's you know, better. 
at Cal or they got USC at home, like oh Arizona, like you said. I don't know. I don't know where they come exactly. Washington is at home. It's a tough schedule for sure. I just like I tend to I don't know, like not not go with my gut. It's like yeah, they're not gonna win any of these games, but it's almost like the the bad teams rarely don't win any of the games, right? It seems like they they get a couple, and so that's almost what I'm banking it on. I just think they'll I think they'll win a couple of these games. It's not good logic. It's not. I wouldn't put money on it, but um, I'm gonna go under, or I'm going over, and you're going under. Oh, lock it in under. Yes, I think it's been an awful year for Colorado. Wow. Okay. I think they're the worst team in the Pac-12, not named Arizona. I could see that. Um, Utah, Charlie Brewer, formerly of the Baylor Bears, dipping into the transfer portal again with Kyle Whittingham. Um, do you think he makes the leap in Utah? And do you think with everyone coming back except their, their quarterback and Mr. Rising, Cam Rising, do you think uh, Utah and the Utes should be considered the dark horse favorite to come out of the, the South? I do, because I think Utah is going to win the Pac-12 South. Ooh, okay, make the case. Charlie Brewer, I think, just makes them a dynamic offense. I feel like I just trust Kyle Whittingham so much at this point. It might be just, you know, giving too much credit to him, but I feel like they always have a solid defense. They're just always like a fundamentally sound team just in general. And then Ty Jordan was really good as a true freshman running back. Like you could see an improvement from him as well. But I just think Charlie Brewer, it's not like he was just, you know amazing at Baylor but he's a really dynamic player and I feel like he could see him being like like if he was it wouldn't surprise me to see him be first team second team all pack 12 like I think Jaden Daniels is definitely the favorite Keaton Slovis maybe the favorite to be the top two quarterbacks in the conference but I think we know how these kind of awards and things are given out if, if Utah is one of the best teams he's going to be the reason and he could be one of those first team, second team type guys. Like, I just think Utah, like looking at their schedule, like you have USC on the road, you got Arizona State at home, and you got Oregon at home. I think, and UCLA at home. So I think those are like the biggest games I see on the schedule. Like they got to go at BYU, but I think they've beaten BYU like nine straight. Like they kind of dominate BYU. So I think you're you see an easy four and zero start from them, and then it's just going to be I think that that back to back at USC and Arizona State after the bye week. I think it's also beneficial to get USC after the bye week. So I don't know. I just have a lot of faith in in Utah. I think USC's schedule is easier just because they get Oregon from the because uh, Utah gets Oregon from the north and USC doesn't, but. I don't know if you get that tiebreaker and, and win in uh in the Coliseum, then uh that can that can buy him a buy him that tiebreaker. But I don't know. I just I, Utah seems like the team that uh, that people are kind of sleeping on, and I don't. Maybe it's I think it's just my my perception of Clay Helton. Like I don't I don't know that Utah is going to be the better team. I just almost am just ready for USC to to just kind of wet the bed and not get it done. Yeah, it, it's like one of those things that people are, because his expectations should be higher. Like, there's no excuse for Utah to give Clay Helton as much trouble as they have in recent years. Like, it's just, it shouldn't be a thing. 
No, I agree. And so I think that's probably where I'm coming from it more is like an indictment on USC more than more than even being sold on USC or being sold on Utah. But I am I think Charlie Brewer makes this team a whole lot better. I am curious how Micah Bernard does them. Um and if Christopher Christopher Kamarni uh, comes on. I'm I'm curious to see how that all plays out. Um over under, so eight and a half wins. You're gonna take the over, correct? I'm taking the over. But USC has won the last two. Yeah. Uh, over Utah. But before that, what was it? Utah won three? They went three straight before that. No, they uh, they they went back and forth. Okay. Every year until uh, like if they if Utah would have won in twenty twenty, they would have literally gone back and forth for like eight straight years. Okay, that's what it is. Wow. Yeah, they just played them well. Like Utah and USC is just for whatever reason, like they're they keep it interesting. Um, yeah, some close games for sure. Yeah, look so at this. You're going you're going over too, or are you going under? Uh, give me the over because I do like the schedule. I do like the schedule. Give me, yeah, I could see nine and three for this group. Um, BYU on the road doesn't scare me as much this year. I think BYU takes a step back. San Diego State scares me a little bit. I think San Diego State's going to be a really good program and they're going to be good. Um, USC on the road's tough, uh, but they get Arizona State at home. They get UCLA at home. They get Oregon State on the road, get Stanford on the road, Arizona on the road, Oregon at home. The schedule just really screams nine and three to me. Um, I got the over. You got the over. Uh, so let's you just start moving on to Arizona State or something. I yeah, think. Arizona State, Arizona. We'll wrap up with them in the Pac-12 South. All right. Um, Arizona, man. I have more to say about them because Arizona State is just there's the looming sanctions that we have no idea what they're going to get for the COVID protocol breaks and herm edwards clicky wasn't going to make it into the season and he's just still around it kind of reminds me of sean miller at arizona which is he's still there and you're like well will wade still at lsu somehow don't understand how this is happening they're just hoping people just forget about it yeah. i guess i don't know um jane daniels is in a great position but i think so we're Ari- starting with arizona state let's start with arizona state because i think arizona is the last one we'll tell you yeah so jaden like daniels great um but pack but herman edwards is 11 and 11 in pack 12 play to this point um nine wins is high for the sun devils it's, it's a lot of wins it's a big jump they're expecting um it is pre-sanctioned high. yeah it's a it's definitely high i'm i'm definitely thinking under like just because of looking at their road games like you had at ucla at utah at washington at byu and obviously, like, I don't even know how much, like you said, the off-the-field stuff, like how much of a distraction is all that going to be? Like, like there's obviously, you know, Southern Utah and UNLV, like, to start the season, like you're, you know, it's two easy wins. But I don't know. I think there's there's some tough games in here. And I think Jaden Daniels is, like, one of those guys, and there seems to be guys like this every year that, like, have all the tools and there people constantly tell you like oh dude this guy's an NFL player this guy's an NFL player and i don't know it's like you just need to see it until you just believe everybody you know what i mean like i think he's got the tools i just i still need to see more from him yeah i i'm curious there there's a lot of upside here there's a lot of talent i just i don't know 9 is a lot i'm going to go under until i see it and I think there's just a lot of bad juju, and I just would not be surprised with anything that happens to this program this year. They had so much momentum. It really sucks. 
because Herm is a likable dude and this program was making real strides and I thought there was real room in the Pac-12 South for them to jump up there and become the cream of the crop uh, being able to recruit Southern California and all that but I don't know I, I'm going to go under Arizona is a lot more interesting to me because we've, we've I'm joked, going under as well we've joked in this job like it's it's a terrible job they don't care about football there it's basketball baseball school no one can win. Is it a baseball school? Yeah, they're an amazing baseball school. What? Is it really? I yes. know Arizona State's like a powerhouse. Is Arizona that good at baseball? Yeah. No, softball, they were like a dynasty, right? But they just pulled good. Chip Hale from Detroit. Like they they've been very good. Their coach just got plucked by LSU. Um no, oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. No, they're in the College World time. Series this year. I'll take your word for it. You're the you're the college baseball expert on the podcast. I'm something of a sports renaissance man, Matt Green. That's true. You do a lot of sports. <laughs> I do a lot of sports. Um, you should see my Google my Google Sheets. Yeah, you should start like a website or something. Okay. Like, really, what would you call it? I don't know. Just don't name it after yourself, whatever you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just mess with you, man. Um, this schedule is awful for them. Like, they're the worst team in the Pac-12 this year. There's no question. There's no talent here. Jed Fish is in a really tough situation, but he's got the backing of Teddy Bruschi and Rob Gronkowski, which goes a long way. But here's here's what I'm saying. And this is this is a quote I believe I pulled this from CBS Sports. Um, I'm an athlete. Don't quote me on that. Um, but I didn't realize just how insane this staff is. So Jed Fish assembled... Safeties coach Chuck Cecil and defensive line coach Ricky Hundley, both NFL guys. He persuaded Brennan Carroll, son of Seahawks coach Pete Carroll, to leave his dad and become the offensive coordinator at UA. He hired Don Brown, remember him, at Michigan, Dr. Blitz, to be the defensive coordinator. He even hired a lead strength and conditioning coach from Alabama, brought in Teddy Bruschi to be a special advisor, and then uh, Gronkowski coach the spring game like just it's not gonna work but the man's trying he's hiring a bunch of guys right like it's gonna be fun yeah you gotta respect the hustle i mean teddy brewski is like he is arizona football so Mm -hmm. i mean that's like the only success that i think they ever had i think they may have gone to like a rose bowl or something like that back in the back in the day Mm -hmm. maybe not even that good but um yeah, I, uh, I respect the effort, but I, I don't see... What was the over-under on Arizona? Two and a half. Oh, man. Yeah, looking at their schedule, it's like, if they don't win those first three games, and, you know, I imagine BYU is going to be favored over them. I, uh, you know, I don't know much about BYU, though, this year without Zach Wilson. Like, are they going to be, like, big time again? Well, they also have Jeff Grimes. He's now the OC at Baylor, and they promoted from within. So they lost their OC. They lost Wilson. Like, it's going to be a learning curve year. I don't think they're going to fall off. All- I think Kalani Sataki is a good coach, so I don't think they're going to fall off altogether. But I think it's going to be a yeah. rebuilding 6-6 six and six mean, type of year. They're playing essentially the entire Pac-12 South. Like, every single team I'm going through these schedules, I'm like, oh, they got BYU. They got BYU. Like, it's kind of crazy. So I think they literally are playing four four of the six teams in the Pac-12 South. So, um, yeah, Arizona, if they don't – if they're if they're two and one after those first three games, and I think what, – what do you think, San Diego State? you think that's a loss? Yeah, I think they have one win. I think they beat Northern Arizona, and that's it. 
Yeah, that, that that honestly might be. Like they might get they might steal one game in the in the conference, but uh, I don't see much more than that. I'm going under. Arizona, Colorado. If you hate yourself, October sixteenth, folks. Put it on the board. I might watch that just out of morbid curiosity. Who's the worst team in the Pac-12? October 16th. Find out. On the Pac-12 network if you get it. Um, the Pac-12 north, Matt Green. We got Oregon in the north. Uh, a lot of people talking themselves into Oregon. This would be wrong with their Anthony Brown situation under center. It looks like he will be the guy at least starting out. Joe Moorhead being the OC. They travel to Ohio State in week two. I don't... Nine is high for this group in Mario Cristobal. I think there's a lot of good players, especially on defense. This is a defensive-oriented team now. And I I don't know. The Big 12 North... Or the Big 12. The Pac-12 North thing is a better uh, side of the division. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I think Oregon's going to have a really tough time running away with this side of things. I think it's no coincidence that Washington finished 3-1, and one, top of it. They got their game canceled with Oregon last year, so we didn't get to see that in the field. But Jimmy Lake's recruiting well. They have more talent at quarterback. They have more talent on defense, I think. Um, the one bright spot is I think Washington State's going to be bad. Like, And we don't even know what the, like I said, with Nick Rolovich. But like Jared Garantano might be starting week one for the Cougs. And then you got... Oh, I didn't even realize who that Washington State. Yes. And oh, um, boy, Stanford... Went four and two last year, but I I don't think that was a believable four and two, and they lost everybody. So it's like it really will come down to Cal, Oregon, and Washington. But Dylan Morris at Washington, I'm more more interested in uh, Washington. But ultimately, I don't think Oregon strikes me as a nine one team. I think it's going to be a little bit more of a down year than people are expecting. I think this is Washington's division this year, and I'm going to say Oregon goes eight and four. So I'm going to get the under on nine wins. What about you? Wow, see that's bold right there. I um the the media has thirty-eight first place votes for Oregon and then two for Washington. They don't even give Cal one win or one first place vote for the for the North. So I don't know, like Ohio State is obviously we're gonna say is a loss, but other than Washington, Utah, like I don't know if I necessarily see more than three losses on this team's schedule. And like, what are we going to be saying about Oregon if they don't win more than nine games? Like, this is it for Mario Cristobal. Like, not saying he's going to get fired, but I feel like this is a year where they they have to take a step forward to show that he's. Like, I don't know, even a good head coach. Like, I feel like he's one of these coaches that everyone seems to just kind of give a pass to. And he's he's coming in on, what, is this year six? And Oregon's finished ranked, like, one time since he's been there. So I was, uh, I was a little surprised to hear you say under because I thought you would be higher on Oregon than I am. I think, you know, I'm, I'm tempted – I really want to push this, honestly. They seem like a nine and three team, but we're not allowed to do that. No, that's what we're saying. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess I'm gonna go over. Oh, I don't feel good about it, but I at I Washington, can't. at Utah, at UCLA, at Ohio State, and the Ohio State, yeah. So if if you lose Ohio State, then like you can only lose one conference game. That's why I feel like they're a nine and three team for sure. But um. 
Ah, fuck it. Uh, give me the over. Mm. Okay. There you go. I don't like I don't like doing it, but yeah, Cristobal's gonna have to show me something. This I'm is not sure five. Cristobal's a good coach. I'm not sure I'm about not that sure. yet. Oh, so this is year four, really. He was the interim guy one year. So yeah, I just had one game. So this great is recruiter. Really... Not sure he's a great head coach. There's some Ed Ordron vibes with him. Gene Chizik vibes. Um, but four and three is also so misleading. Like. Mm-hmm. Because you could have played a couple of those tough games and you didn't have the wins to just pad onto your schedule. So nine and four and then twelve and two, followed by a four and three when you're preseason number nine. Like that's that's a huge step back. So Oregon Oregon's gotta gotta take a step forward this year. Oregon State, Tristan Gibbia, season baby. Um they beat Oregon and Cal last year. Four and a half wins? For the beeves? My beeves? Hit the over, Jonathan Smith. Say less. Beeves in six. The march to six. I think they win six? I think six, so yeah, I'm I'm pounding the over. So what do you think about at Purdue? That's a win. Purdue stinks. That's a win? Yeah. I always just wonder about going that far across the country for a road game. Just seems like a feat in itself. Can we talk about Purdue real quick? Like 10 seconds on Purdue? Yeah, go for it. Jeff Brom declined Louisville for Purdue. Can we talk about how insanely poor of a choice Jeff Brom made in this decision? I don't know, man. I think I think declining jobs is like I feel like that's like flexing in the coaching industry, you know? Mm-hmm. Now you can say like my alma mater tried to give me back. That's where he went, right? Yes. They try to give me back, but no. I believe in this program. We're going places. This is, you know, and you can just give that. Yeah, you're not. Up. You're going to get fired this year. Your team stinks, and Rondell Moore's gone. <laughs> That's true. Rondell Moore's not walking through that door. Like, Scott Satterfield should honestly be at Purdue, and Jeff Brom should be at Louisville. Like, that would make more sense to me. Why should Scott Satterfield be at Purdue? What's his just the small school element where no expectations, like, out of a big, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Where he came from App State. Like he fits more of a Purdue type thing. Like this young, scrappy, no one ex- no expectations. Louisville, they have expectations. They've been in the Sugar Bowl. Um, Jeff Brom just made a bad choice. That's that's what I'll say. But no, Oregon State has more than four wins. You got Idaho, Purdue, Hawaii, Washington State, um, Colorado, Stanford. There you I'm go. Not hearing any respect for the Rainbow Warriors. They're gonna be bad this year. I thought that was your squad, man. I mean, I would love to be. To go the other way, but Hawaii's not going to be good this year. They don't even have same, a football stadium. Same with Hawaii. They seem like they're playing like the whole Pac-12 too. I guess it's just a couple games. Mm-hmm. Nah, I was way off. <laughs> Samsonite, I was way off. Samsonite, I was way off. Washington, Dylan Morris, bunch of but bunch of dudes on the defensive side of the ball. To, uh, Jimmy Lake recruiting well. Defense we know is going to be elite, one of the best in the country. The offense with Donovan, they run a pro style. They were good last year before things went south and all that. Um, this is still the North. Like they, they are the team of the North. And I think I would be pretty shocked if Washington does not win this division if it's not Cal. My power rankings go one Washington, two Cal as the wild card, and three Oregon. Um, what do you what do you think about Washington? Yeah, it feels like people for 
forget that Washington won the Pac-12 North last year, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were supposed to be playing in the Pac-12 championship. Correct. So, the only thing that Oregon did well all year, they really didn't even deserve. But so the at Michigan is obviously a tricky one early in the season, right? Like you you want to give them like I don't know, I'm just not high on Michigan coming into this year. But at the same time, Vegas loves time. them. We should mention though, nine wins for them. Oh, nine wins. Mm-hmm. I tend I tend to think over as well, like. I just I think they're better than Oregon right now, and that's what it comes down to. Really, just looking at the schedule, it's not easy though. They do get some of the better teams from the South, like Arizona State, and you got UCLA. But um, that Michigan game is really what sta- like that's what's I think hinging on going over. I think they have to win that game. But um, I, I kind of think they will, and I and even I guess I guess they can still they can still just lose two games in the conference with that loss to Michigan. I, uh, I I tend to think they're going to go over because I just I'm more sold on on Washington than I am Oregon. Yeah, I see two losses. I see Michigan maybe, Cal maybe, and then I think it's a toss. Like they'll lose one of those, and then they'll lose one of Arizona State, Oregon. They just got an unlucky draw with Oregon and in Arizona State back to back. Well, and all four of those games are at home. Too. True. That's huge. Cal, UCLA, Oregon, and... Well, Michigan's Arizona on the road. State. Yeah, Michigan, the one, is on the road. But all four of those Pac-12 games, yes. circle, all those are on at home. So that's a, that's favorable for Washington. So I think I think, I think, think you can safely say this is a 10-2 and two team. And that's good enough to win the Pac-12. Nah, you can't say anything safe in the Pac-12. Like That's why this entire conference is like eight and a half, over, under 8.5 or 9. Like the top like five six teams in this conference it's it's really it's a tough one to predict but you're going over yes let's group washington also, state yes i went under just to just to be different on oregon state i think you moved on without me but i'll uh i went under on that one well, just for the record jaquiz rogers disagrees um let's combine to speed to to wrap this this portion of the pod up at um, Washington State and Stanford are going to be the cellar dwellers here. I think the Cougs are the worst team in this division this year, but I think I could see Stanford also being in that, even after Stanford going four and two last year, losing as much as they did. David Shaw quietly, like it's it. I, I don't know. There's not a lot for me to look at this roster, and I'm I'm like, oh, this looks good. Um, things are bad, sneakily. Like they won at least eight games from 2011 to 2018. Cardinal went four and eight in 2019. They went four and two in the six game season. Like I just, they're not, it's just not the Stanford uh, that we got accustomed to with David Shaw. Like, and I think losing David Mills is going to be a problem. Um, they don't have Arizona and Colorado on their schedule. Four wins is the the prediction, which is what they did in 2019. I think that's what happens. Do, does he get on the hot seat if they go four and eight again? I was gonna say he seems like another one of those coaches that's almost like immune from the from the hot seat. Like they've been on the decline for for several years now, and you don't really hear anything about David Shaw because it seems like everyone just likes him so much. So if if you see another like especially what is it four over mm-hmm. under four wins like that's where we are with Stanford now. Four wins is over under like. That's pretty bad. So, if they're a, if they're another four win season, like 
I guess I exaggerate. It's been a couple years that they've uh, been on the decline, but I um I don't know. I they I think they're definitely going to go over four wins, and so if they're a five or six win team, I don't know. It seems like they just they like David Shaw so much. I don't know if he goes in the hot seat. It might take one more bad year yeah. or underwhelming year for Washington State. All I've got to say: watch Max Borgie. That dude is so much fun to watch. And he came back for another year. He and Dion McIntosh are going to be the best running back duo in the in the conference. Like, they're going to be beasts. Have you watched any Max Borgie? I am uh, not very familiar with him. All right, you got to do some YouTube highlights. Wazoo? Yes. He's okay. very Christian McCaffrey. He's so fine. saying he's white? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He reminds me of a Toby Gerhardt, if you will. That is a name. No, no Toby Gerhardt with this guy. Um, John Riggins, I think, is really who he reminds me of. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go under. The only white running backs of all time. I'm going to go under on the Cougs, too. Going under on the Cougs. I'm going under on the Cougs as well. Six wins six, is outrageous. Six seems generous, for sure. And then, last but not least. Cal, six wins, lock it in over six. They went one and three last year. I don't think that was real. Um, Bill Musgrave wasn't able to do a bunch of his installs. You now get Garber back. I I think this this schedule looks like seven, eight worst case scenario. If things break right, nine or ten. I don't know. I think they got a good thing going. Um, you got Nevada, Sacramento State, the Cougs, Colorado, Oregon State, all at home. At Arizona is winnable. At Stanford, at TCU is just going to be fascinating. Like that is going to be a really interesting game for both teams, and I think they should be favored in that game. And then they played Washington well um, in the past. I think they won at Washington two years ago. Um, so I'm intrigued. I think the Golden Bears are in a really really good situation right now. So give me the over. What about you? So they do have to go at Washington and at Oregon. You uh, you aren't worried about that? They won at Washington last time they went there. Okay, that's a uh, and then going at TCU. I think that's uh, also TCU is one of those. Is that game actually home. at TCU or is it somewhere else? It is in Amon G Carter Stadium. Okay, but um and then at UCLA to end the season. I um I don't know if I can go much over six. Like I'm gonna give them the over, but I feel like. This is like a seven-win team to me. I just I'm not as high on Cal as you are. I think I need still need to see a lot more before I'm uh put them in that nine and ten-win range. But I'll still give them the over. Okay. Also, did you go over under on Stanford? Under. Under. Okay. So we had a couple of disagreements in there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll be doing the ACC next week on the pod, Matt Green. Do you want okay. the Coastal or the one that Clemson's in? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, if I knew who was in which division, I would I would choose, but I'm never going to remember. There's zero the chance Atlantic I remember. Who's in the Coastal. Like, I've, tr- I've tried to remember, and I can't. Atlantic, I believe, is the other one. It's, it's terrible. It's like the Republicans and Democrats. It's like the... We're in a democratic republic. Let's call the parties the republic. I think that doesn't mean anything. It's the Atlantic Coast Conference. We're calling the Atlantic and the Coastal. Like, they didn't want to do North and South because it would just end up being 
like old ACC versus like the Big East, basically, you know. But that's honestly what they should have done, North and South. It would essentially have been the old ACC plus Miami. Yeah. But what can you do? I want Coastal with George Tech and Virginia. You can have the Atlantic with Clemson and FSU. Is that the <laughs> – I, th- I swear, I get, th- I get this wrong every time. Like, I thought – Georgia Tech and Clemson were in the same division, no? No. Man, that fucks me up every time. <laughs> this uh, No joke. I watch a lot of college football. I guess there were no divisions last year. I watch a lot of college football, and I just can never remember who's in these who's uh, in the Atlantic and the Coastal. Okay, we got Clemson, Louisville, Wake Forest, Florida State, Boston College, Syracuse, and NC State. There's just no rhyme or reason to that. Like, why are all those teams in the same division? It's absurd. For that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, Matt Green, for myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee, that is all I've got. Matt, we can follow you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. We can follow your dogs, cute pups, Zeus and Maddox on Instagram. Yes, sir. Nice you can tell Tori we did promote the Instagram on the podcast. Yeah, I'm expecting some sort of monetary payment. So we'll see how that works out. Matt Green, always a pleasure. Talk to you next week. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.